Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. back for another edition of the unreasonable odds podcast steve buchanan with my co-host julian edlo in a very news-filled thursday as we record this thursday afternoon some news dropping last night this morning we're gonna hit on carson wentz fernando tatis jr becoming a rich rich man carson wentz becoming a new member of the indianapolis colts and then after that julian I believe you have a special guest coming on to talk a little hoops after we're done with that. Yeah, we're going to have Joe Glant from Odd Shark on the show. Um, a very good underdog better, a very good, uh, if we go to NFL, anytime touchdown prop score. Uh, he bets a lot of plus money. We're going to get into his theories and stuff. We're going to go over some some NBA trends uh, and, you know, only three game card here on Thursday. So yeah. maybe not any specific plays here, but uh, at least look towards the weekend and give you some NBA trends that you can follow through the season and be uh, hopefully be profitable with. Let's start off with the news that just broke like literally less than an hour ago before we even were going to record this. Carson Wentz has been traded by the Eagles going over to the Colts. And this has been an amazing story for me because the Eagles came into this offseason all high and mighty. Like they were going to get this, you know, treasure trove of picks and everything for Wentz. And it just didn't turn out that way. You look at what they got. Oh, well, well, hold on. What what do you think the asking offer was to start? So when they, when this whole thing started, what the return that they wanted, they wanted no less than what the lions got from Matt Stafford from the Rams. So we're talking about, you know, multiple picks, There was multiple first round picks was even being thrown around. And the way I envision it is that the Eagles are coming into this off season. Like they were Jordan Belfort trying to sell arrow tie international calling up teams. So, you know, they pick up their phone, calling up like the bears. Right. And they said, you know, we heard you're in the market for a quarterback that has huge upside potential with very little downside risk. Does that ring a bell? That's my Jordan Belfort impression. And the Bears go, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah, we are in the market. And they go, okay, I have this one. It's Carson Wentz. Hello? Hello? And then they weren't, the, no, no interest. Nobody wanted Carson Wentz. So the haul that the Eagles end up getting back after all of that is a 2021 third-round pick, big whoop, a 2022 conditional second-round pick. That could turn into a first-round pick 
under these conditions reportedly, if Wentz plays 75% of the snaps, that's that's a risk right there with how injury prone he's been, or 70% of the snaps and the Colts make the playoffs. So those are the conditions that I can turn into a first round pick. Now, the Colts already had a couple quarterbacks on the roster prior to this. Jacoby Brissett already has been said that he was not in the mix for the starting position. They did draft Jacob Eason in the fourth round. There was something that maybe he could be the successor to Phillip Rivers. But you just look at the season that Carson Wentz is coming off, and you look at some of the numbers that he put up. 57.4% completion rate amongst qualified quarterbacks, second worst in the league. 72.8% passer rating, second worst in the league. Six yards per pass attempt, the worst in the league. 15 interceptions, the worst in the league, tied for the worst in the league. And let's not forget, Julian, I totally forgot about this. He took 50 sacks in 12 games that literally totaled 10% of his total dropbacks, an average of 4.1 per game. So he's going in a much better environment in front of that really strong Colts offensive line. So, you know, the risk of injury definitely goes down. But, you know, with Carson Wentz, anything is possible. But at least from a standpoint of where he has the potential to succeed once again in front of that offensive line and they can stay healthy, this is probably one of the best landing spots for him. I think it's a great trade for both teams, honestly. Um, the Colts, for clear-cut reasons, they need a quarterback, and they just got a quarterback that has shown us before that he can play at an MVP type of level. Uh, he has to stay healthy. That's a, that's a must. Now, like, if you look at the situation he's getting dropped into, though, it's just so much better than Philly, and it starts with the offensive line. You go from maybe the worst offensive line in the NFL to maybe the best offensive line in the NFL, at least a top five bottom to a top five best uh, or a bottom five to a top five. I don't know why I worded that so terribly. Very strange, um, but okay. So I, he's going to be protected. He has weapons around him. He has T.Y. Yeah. Hilton. He has Michael Pittman Jr., who's, I think, a very legit wide receiver. He was the first pick of the second round, could have been a first-round pick, showed a lot of flash at the end of the, at the, end of the season for the Colts last year. He has running backs. He has pass-catching running backs. He has a good yep. trio of tight ends that Phillip Rivers used in that loss to Buffalo in the playoffs. Everything's there for Carson Wentz to play well. All he has to do to stay healthy. And the thing that is the most involved with keeping him healthy, the offensive line, is one of the best in the NFL. So I think it's a great landing spot for Wentz. Uh, and then for, for Philly, I think it's a great deal because – you get the third rounder now. That's fine. You can use that on a piece. Third round picks are, you know, nothing to bark at right now. And I think the pick has a great chance to wind up being a first rounder in 2022. Yeah. That's that's why these conditions are honored. If Carson Wentz can't stay healthy in this situation, then he just doesn't have much value. And the the contingencies on it represent that. And you, you get a second rounder back and you say, okay, he is who we thought he was. He's made of glass. Uh, a third and a second are fine or he stays healthy and is playing at a star level for Indy uh, and, and gets 75% of the snaps or plays 70 and gets his team to the postseason, which this should be a playoff team if he stays healthy and Philly gets back the first that it's been calling around asking for in a, in a, in a year, you just got to wait another year for that pick. Jalen hurts is going to take a little time to develop next year is going to be a learning curve. And then you get a first-round pick, potential, two first-round picks, your own, and Indy's coming in in 2022 when Hurts is starting to kind of 
get into the beginning of his prime a little bit. Yeah. I like it for both sides. Uh, and Hertz right now is a good guy for Philly to go with because of his mobility. Now you have to work on that offensive line because you want Hertz to grow as a drop back passer, one of his bigger weaknesses. And by to do that, you need an offensive line. Maybe some of these upcoming picks, you hit on some O-linemen because that's the biggest need. And you talk about mobility. I mean, they had the, you know, complete opposite of a mobility, you know, a quarterback that has mobility in Phillip Rivers last year. But that offensive line only allowed him to be under pressure on 23% of his dropbacks and sacked only 19 times. Like Wentz literally almost tripled that total in less games with the Eagles last year. Like he was just getting demolished, absolutely demolished. And what's even more wild about that is that it was 50 sacks in 12 games. That week two game against the Rams, they didn't even sack him. So it was 50 sacks in 11 games, realistically. That's absolutely asinine that a team would be able, that offense, you know, offensive line would let that happen to the quarterback. Much, much different situation here. Talk about some of the Rams are the team that didn't get a sack on Wednesday. Right? Right. I had to make sure that that was correct, but that was correct. Uh, some odd shifts on the DraftKings Sportsbook in reaction to this news. The Colts were uh, originally 25 to 1 when the championship next year have dropped down slightly, 22 to 1 now. Wouldn't put them in the championship caliber in the conversation. But, you know, to be fair, we have seen MVP type seasons from Carson Wentz in the past. If they can get anywhere close to that, you mentioned some of the weapons that they have. The running game is very strong. Michael Pittman Jr., Carson Wentz, that could be a deadly combination as they start to acclimate with each other. You know, that could be some good value right now. Likewise, on the Eagles side, Jalen Hurts, who is now the starter. We all should, we all knew this. This should have happened way before. Some people, you know, bet him for rookie of the year and, you know, didn't get that because they didn't start him well enough. Anybody in this room? Plus, <laughs> I don't even remember. I don't even remember the number. I got to do the math. It was, it was wild. It was very high. Let's put it that way. Um, but, you know, obviously he's going to be the starter next year. Rumor has it, because I cannot confirm this, but I've seen multiple reports on this. He was a hundred to one before the news dropped. Has dropped down to 80 to one now after the news broke. That he I had Jalen Hurts plus 1100 to win rookie of the year. Okay. So actually he was right in the same realm for coming into this year. So, so 80 uh, to one MVP, now. The MVP you mean? Yeah. Correct. Oh, oh, I had him at, I had at 110 to one to win rookie of the year. Should have started him earlier. Uh, now he goes from 101 to win 102, one to win MVP to 80 to one to win MVP. Yep. So, you know, obviously we saw what he, what he can bring uh, last year and now he's going to have a full season. It'd be great if we got some healthy receivers for him too, because remember, you know, to be fair for as bad as Carson Wentz was, he was kind of working with a skeleton crew last year too, as yep. well. But that does, you know, has nothing to do with just how bad he was under pressure and all that. So if Jalen Hurts has some of those uh, receivers healthy, may not have Zach Ertz rumblings going around that he's on the trading block as well, but we'll see what the Eagles end up doing this off season. But those are kind of some of the ramifications from that trade that has gone down from a sports book perspective. Um, any interest on any of those? Any good value still? Do you still think 80 to one on Jalen Hurts is a fair value for him at, you know, with the situation he's going to be in? Is that even something worth considering at this point? It's a fair value. We kind of knew, I mean, we, we knew Wentz was going to be traded. We knew it was coming this week, next week, soon. So it's just the better value is 100 to 1 is better than 80 to 1. So since we knew it was coming, if you had interest in Hertz, you should have taken it a day ago, right. last week, sure. whenever, because you knew he was going to be Philly's starter. So arguably it's worse value now, but he's still appropriately priced. 
in the sense that he has almost no shot of winning MVP. Uh, is he going to make some strides and improve the Eagles? Probably. I like Jalen Hurts. Uh, maybe it's some of my Alabama bias, but I think he's a very capable quarterback. Um, I think he plays well in big games. He's very poised. He's a good combination of, of running and throwing the ball. Uh, so I think this is the right move for the Eagles. I think this is the right move for the Colts. I'm not betting Jalen Hurts or Carson Wentz to win MVP. But we saw how bad that division was. The Eagles are plus yeah. 400 to win the division. That's fair, totally fair. Um, the Colts are minus 106, basically a pick them to win that division. They're, they arguably should be better this year than they were last year. Uh, Tennessee's right behind at plus 120, given that Houston and Jacksonville have virtually no chance. I think the division odds there are interesting on on both teams uh, to potentially do something with. We're going to move over to the diamond where the news that was the big news until this morning was that the Padres officially locked up their stud, the face of baseball, and I will take that to the grave. Fernando Tatis Jr. signs the longest contract in baseball history, 14 years, $340 million with the Padres. That contract eclipsed the former record for longest. Bryce Harper and Giancarlo Stanton both signed 13-year deals with their respective teams. The third most lucrative contract in baseball behind Mookie Betts and, of course, Mike Trout, who signed that absolute monster with the Angels. And the amazing thing about this, too, is that this was so not necessary for the Padres to do right now because, I mean, he wasn't even eligible for free agency until 2024. They're going to be doing arbitration hearings for him over the next few years, but they lock him up now until 2034, which is just insane to think about at this time. that Someone's locked up him for that long. And Tatis Jr. got the bag for someone that hasn't even played a full season of games in the major leagues 143 games total 2019 and then the shortened season in 2020 but if you look at what he's done in that short span and this contract is all guaranteed by the way if you see what he's done in that short span 39 home runs 98 rbis 27 stolen bases isolated power of 272 and 295 in those seasons had the best wins above replacement amongst all shortstops last year at 2.9. That was also the fourth best in all of Major League. So now that Padres team is pretty strapped for cash moving forward. Manny Machado, Hosmer, Tatis Jr. Who knows what they're going to have with some of these young kids coming up. They have a plethora of prospects still in the system, even with after all the moves that they made. So, that's going to be a problem down the road. But this is a team that clearly is looking to win today. They're looking to win yesterday, quite frankly. With all the moves they've made in the rotation, in the lineup, you basically have one of the most premier players in the league coming up right now with Tatis. Put him up in the same realm as Ronald Acuna, Juan Soto. If anybody's upset this morning, it's Ronald Acuna because he absolutely got screwed in his deal. But that's that's for a different day. But I was kind of surprised that some people were saying that maybe he left money on the table because of how soon he, I think he, he did. signed this deal. He may have, 
He may. I don't care. I don't care if I'm him. I'm just saying he probably did. Sure. It's a good deal for the Padres and for Tatis. Right. Because in a few years, you know, if baseball keeps going the way it goes, you know, at his average annual value, it's going to be kind of a steal maybe in four or five years when he's, you know, 25, you know, 26, 27. He's he's kind of a steal now. Right. Like, which is insane to think about. 25 million. Is that really a big deal for somebody of his caliber and have it walked up that long? And to, we already know he's good and he would get paid eventually anyway. So the only thing he can do is like overtake trout as, you know, the best statistical player in baseball and then be worth more. Now we haven't gotten, now this deal isn't official yet. So we don't have the actual official terms, but it is being reported that there's a full no trade clause included and no opt-outs. And that's where I kind of was surprised about the no opt-outs because we've seen this many times. You know, they'll have that opt-out in the fourth or fifth year, and then they'll look to get another bag down the road. We've seen this multiple times in MLB, but this is basically he's set, but that's why this, this money is guaranteed. And that was probably the cherry on top that he's guaranteed this money. It's just it, the thing that I'm worried about is that it just sets a, a what kind of precedent does this set moving forward? Because we talk about guys who are going to, you know, need to be paid soon. Luis Robert at one point with the Chicago White Sox is going to be someone that's going to come into this conversation if we keep seeing what we've seen for him. It's just interesting to see how this played out. That Tatis Jr., who hasn't even played a full season, now has the third most lucrative contract in Major League Baseball behind established guys like Mike Trout and Mookie Betts. Yeah. I, again, I think it's a good deal for both sides uh, just because we know we, we pretty much know what Tatis is going to be. Uh, maybe there's an injury in the next few years that if you hadn't locked him up, maybe you get a little bit more team friendly of a sure. deal, but I don't think there's much risk here for the team putting him on this deal. And I think Tatis probably could have gotten more at some point in time, but when you're getting 340 million, all guaranteed, <laughs> what does it really matter? Right. Um to live in San Diego, like, sounds fun to me. And that's the other thing, too. It's like, at that point, when people are like, oh, maybe he could have got 450 When you're talking about that kind of dollar value, what's the difference anymore? If you're getting 400 over 350 or 450 over 350 like, well, I mean, granted, it's, it's $100 million, Don't get me wrong. I don't sniff anywhere near that. I know that's what you, you lose on a – No, but I know that that's what you lose on a nightly basis. But <laughs> at that point, like, what's the difference? You get 350 or 400 It's like, whatever. He's going to be getting endorsements after endorsements. He is going to be the face of the franchise, you know, already on the cover of MLB, the show for 2021, but don't worry. He's going to get his money, but I just wanted to point out some of the projections that are coming in for him for this upcoming season. He's right on the cusp of of being projected for 40 home runs, um, over hundred RBIs over 25 stolen bases. The strikeouts is the biggest worry with him. That's kind of the biggest knock on him. Almost a 30, 30% K percentage in his first year, 24% last year. So he's got to work on that a little bit. But truly, that's probably the biggest knock you're going to get on him. He's excellent defensively. He's excellent offensively. And, you know, obviously, like I mentioned, one of the most prolific players in the game right now gets the bag. All right, go ahead. I mean, just two things for me. Number one, hopefully because he has this contract, maybe MLB can loosen up a little bit and just embrace him as a face of baseball. Um, Mike Trout's great, but he doesn't really make the playoffs. Uh, he hasn't won anything. 
he's kind of boring. They like asked him for a hobby and his hobbies like the weather weather. Yeah. Like what an um, awful hobby. Just let Tatis go with these bat flips. Let's make it a little bit more exciting. Um, and if you're going to pay a guy this much, you might as well embrace him. Uh, that's number one. Number two, sports book side of things. This doesn't do anything for me. It doesn't change yeah. Tatis in a crowded competitive NL MVP field. Um, and unfortunately for the Dodgers who have been doing everything they can, they're in the same division, same league. Uh, did I say the Padres or the Dodgers? Unfortunately for the Dodgers. Padres, yep. they are in the same division and same league as the Dodgers yep. who every time the Padres do something, the Dodgers who are already better to begin with, just do something again and make it pretty tough to see them not winning the NL. So like, I'm still, if I'm still betting anything, any MLB futures, it's the Dodgers plus 350 to win to repeat and win it all again. It's the Dodgers plus 175 to get out of the NL. The Padres are next in line at plus 390. Uh, so a wide gap. You look at you still look at this division, even after everything that the Padres have done, they're plus 200 to win the division. The Dodgers are minus 250. Um, yeah. Last year, the Dodgers were like minus 500. So I guess sportsbooks are admitting that that san diego's made up some ground but the dodgers just continue to do too much know, i'm not crazy about the 350 for the dodgers I, i'm not crazy not about the, the dodgers i mean i just don't know i don't it's too much talent at this point they keep piling on oh i get it but you know and, and i brought this up before too it kind of reminds me of when you know the yankees were like the huge favorite last year and then heading into september you know the, over the first week of september we didn't even know if they were going to make the wild card you know it was it, that's why for the odds for the long season, because this is the full season, mm-hmm. not enough for me at three at three fifty. No way, not enough. That those are that's too low for me. It's too low. Uh, I don't know. I mean, everything has to align. You know what I mean? And at plus three fifty, that's a lot of things that have to align. I get the talent. Don't get me wrong. Like I'm not saying they're not talented. I'm not saying they're not going to go far. I'm not saying that I don't think they're going to win over hundred games. They probably will. A plus three fifty to win it all, though that's uh, nah. It doesn't do it for me. Fair. And, so what's you know your what best? Thing what's is? your best future? What's my best? Okay, so if you real quick, because I, I don't want to get too deep into this. I mean, I look at some of the teams that could end up coming through. Like I look at the Blue Jays, a twenty-two to one. The addition of George Springer, like that lineup is is deadly. That lineup is so good. If they can get it right with the pitching, like that is an underrated team for sure. Even the Nationals, 33 to 1. Their pitching staff is incredible. They got to get some work done on the lineup, but that's like one of those things that I don't have a lot of, you know, it's not a big risk taking these guys. And if they can get one aspect of their game in line with the other half, Nationals, strong pitching, if they can get some really good production out of their lineup, that's a team to worry about. You have to face Scherzer, Corbin. Strasburg in the in the playoffs, that's that's a tough thing to beat. That's where I'm looking for those futures. Do I think it's gonna happen? Probably not, but talk about some of the best value. Blue Jays, Washington, those are the two teams that jump out at me immediately. Can I interest you in Blue Jays plus 350 to win the AL East? Or would you rather have that 2200 to win the World Series and bank on maybe two or three teams making the playoffs from the American League? I would I wait. Would are the on... playoffs still the same? Is it do we know this? I don't know if that's confirmed yet. There's still, yeah, I don't even, uh, now what do we, we don't even know what we're betting on. 
I would bank I would bank on the Blue Jays to be a really strong wild card team. They're not going to come out of the East. They would be a really strong wild card team, but getting into the playoffs, that means that things are going well for them to get there to begin with. Yep. I'll take the 22 to 1. Okay. All right, that is going to wrap it up for the first half here. Producer Samir is going to do like this really nice and beautiful like transition to Julian and our guest. If you're listening to the audio, you're you missed out. Like you're not even going to notice that we changed. But on the video, he's going to do some magic because that's all he does is magic on the show. And that's also it for me because I'm useless with basketball. So let's get to it. It's true. Welcome back to the second leg of the Unreasonable Odds podcast. My co-host Steve Buchanan is out of here because he does not know diddly squat about basketball. And if you're watching on YouTube, you will notice a new man in the booth. We got Jill Gallant with us from Odd Shark. He's an NFL and NBA writer, sports betting analyst. He does it all over there. Uh, if you follow him on Twitter, at GDog5000. Welcome into the Unreasonable Odds podcast, man. Awesome, Julia, man. I love that intro. I love that you have me on today. And uh, it's finally great to, uh, for the people who probably follow along, Julian and I, we've interacted plenty of times on Twitter, but we never actually got to have a conversation face-to-face. So uh, this is refreshing. This is good. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. I'm looking forward to picking your mind about a couple of things. We're going to mostly go NBA, obviously, since we're in basketball season. But really quick, we're not too far enough removed from NFL season uh, where I just want to get a couple questions in here and some, some ideas, really. Um, we'll get into your main thing. Your, your bread and butter, I would say, and you tell me if you agree, is touchdown props and turnover props in the NFL, that is um, yeah. which I, I think are, are super unique. Um, how'd you do with the Super Bowl, first of all, though? How'd that sure. work out for you? Yeah, so actually the Super Bowl, and this is the last two years, the Super Bowl, I can't pick a touchdown score to save my life. I can pick the right side. I can pick the total. I can pick a guy to throw an interception. I can do all these other different props, but a touchdown score is just, uh, it's very difficult. I don't know why. And I mean, obviously like uh, uh, Casey not uh, scoring a single touchdown. <laughs> I was just going to say, I'll tell you one reason why, because nobody had the Chiefs scoring zero touchdowns. In well, like for example, Julian, like I had Travis Kelsey to score the first touchdown for the Chiefs. I'm still technically, I feel like I'm holding on to that ticket. Like, you know what I mean? It just hasn't happened yet. But uh, when the Chiefs get back on the field, he's probably going to be the one to score that touchdown, and I'll be sitting there with the thumb up my butt wishing that uh, he would have just got it done in the Super Bowl instead of waiting until week one. So, But, uh, yeah, like I had him. I had Mike Evans to get two touchdowns. Uh, I ended up going with Cameron Brace over Gronk, which was obviously a mistake, but it was because I picked Gronk every single playoff game leading into that game, and the Bucs used him mainly as a primary blocker instead of a instead of a receiver. And him and Braid had basically equal stats from like targets and, and receptions throughout the playoffs. But then Gronk, it's the Gronk show basically in the Super Bowl. And he was like, he could argue that he could have been MVP. Um, so that's kind of the way it goes. Um, from touchdown score perspective, I did fairly well this past season. Uh, the year before, I think I did much better. I was like 92 units up, like just for that season of 2019. 2020 was difficult because what I was doing was uh, I was really starting to open up betting on them specifically for Sunday afternoons, like the Sunday games, because mainly I used to just post my picks for primetime because that's kind of when the most eyes are on social media. You know, you can really focus and dig in on a game and find the edge and maybe bet two or three per game so you can even out. What I was doing during Sunday was trying to take like six to seven picks over a 13 game stretch, like for a Sunday or, t- or t- whatever it is, the amount, whatever a Sunday slate is. And I was just getting 
creamed. Like, I, like, so obviously people were still hoping that I would still post picks, but I was kind of scaling back on the Sunday afternoon picks as the season's going along, just because I was just bleeding money that way. Whereas with the prime time, I think like for the season, I finished up again, like 30 units up, but for during the Sundays, I think I finished down 25 units. So while it just kind of felt like a hamster wheel kind of year, and that's pretty much, I think 2020 for everybody. Yeah, it's true. I mean, betting any sport this past year, so much more has has gone into it. And, and that's just been part of it that you have to accept. Um, but the the last NFL question that I wanted to, to get in real quick is just like, those are hard things to bet that anytime touchdown scores, like you can get into certain matchups, whatever. The, the Bucs were one of the, the worst teams defending tight ends. I do know that just because, you know, we're DraftKings. We do a lot of DFS. That's why I like to bet a lot of player, player props because a lot of my work goes into the DFS side. And then, oh, look, I already have all these numbers. Why don't we put it into player props? So, like, what would you say your biggest thing is in terms of weighing, first of all, the touchdown props, which I do have a little bit of an idea of how you come to. And then second, the turnover props, which I have no idea how you come to. <laughs> sure. So for touchdown scores, the main thing obviously is matchups and odds. Um, so you could look at something like, oh, the Chiefs are very good, or uh, pardon me, the Bucks suck against tight ends, so uh, Kelsey will score, or vice versa. But a lot of the time, you'll see a guy like Kelsey, and he'll be like minus one sixty-five to score a touchdown. And yeah. so what I do is I track the odds basically for all the key players, like at least like what I would say the top five to top 10 guys for each team based on every single game. And then what I do is I just charter week one through week 17. And I just look at the comparisons and odds. And a lot of the time, what I'll do is I will just kind of make an odds play more so than a matchup play because it's just like, okay, I'm getting Kelsey at plus 150 this time around. He's usually minus 160, minus 200, depending on the matchup. He's, I don't think I have to really argue or debate of whether or not he's talented. So I think from, a, from an odd standpoint, you have to take that risk, even if he's playing against a matchup that is brutally tough against tight ends, for example, because the matchups usually went out. So that's like just an example of touchdown scores. Now, quarterbacks is usually where you can find a lot of value. Uh, it's kind of dwindled this past season. I think sportsbooks got smart and started to realize, holy crap, we're getting bled to death on these quarterback props specifically to score touchdowns. But they're the only player that's, that touches the ball on offense every snap. And what we're seeing as the progression of the quarterback position is these guys aren't all now Tom Brady and Drew Brees where they're just you know stuck in the pocket and they don't move. Like Every quarterback now is like a dual threat quarterback. So if you can get them at plus 800 odds or whatever else – a lot of the time they're probably the better option than the starting running back who's sitting there at minus 120. So yeah. then what we do as well, uh, myself and my, uh, my D-Gen circle who basically bet touchdown scores all year, they help me out with a lot of the stats too, um, is we basically take a percentage where we look at to see what the value is or pardon me, what the return is if you just bet only on touchdown scores who have minus odds and guys who are in the plus 200 to plus 300 range and then plus 500 or larger. And we've come to a conclusion that – Long-term, you actually make more money betting on the guys from plus 200 to plus 300 than you do at the minus 120s, just because touchdowns are such a fluky, rare type of occurrence in a football game that banking on guys who are minus 120, minus 150 long-term is just a negative proposition for people. I just, at least the way that we've seen the numbers over the last two years. Now, to go about turnover props, I didn't do them as much this year because a lot of the matchups didn't fit the profile of what I wanted to do the previous year. So to kind of go back the first time that I ever bet a turnover prop, like where I was like making it, uh, I love telling the story. So cut me off if I'm rambling, but 
Um, it was week three last year, and it was Bears versus Washington. So this is Case Keenum at quarterback. And the Bears defense is still pretty good. You know, Eddie Jackson, Ha, Clinton Dix in the secondary. Yep. Um, they're pretty good. But anyway, the point is, is that I knew based on Case Keenum's ability, based on his yards per attempt, and based on where he's directing the ball, like you get almost like a Kirk Goldsberry type of pass chart kind of thing to see where the ball is going. He loves to throw over the middle. And any quarterback that does that is just so prone to interceptions, whether it be the ball tipped up, you know, a ball thinking it's going in the dirt and then another guy grabs it or even just getting strip sacked or something like that because they're going to throw the ball. So that matchup fit where I basically bet turnover on every single one of Washington's drives and it hit four straight times in that game. <laughs> I made like 32 units of profit just on that one game. And like people, like I made like 5,000 new followers just like that night, just because people were following along. Like I was posting on Twitter before the turnover would happen. And then it happened. So people were like, Holy crap, go buy a lottery ticket. Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, the point is, is that for turnover props, you need to have a quarterback who is going to sling it. So a guy like Baker Mayfield is a pretty good candidate for that. But a lot of the time when I bet these turnover props, I'm only going to do them on prime time because if you try to do it on Sunday, you're just spread way too thin between 13 to 15 games trying to balance it. And, you know, you don't want to just only focus on one game, even if you think you have an edge like that, because you could, you could maybe missing edges on the other 13 to 14 games. So from a turnover prop standpoint, it's got to be a strong defense that forces turnovers. I think that's pretty, pretty basic, but also a quarterback that is going to have a good yards per attempt because a lot of the turnover props do hinge on quarterbacks. All right. I like that, man. There's a method to the madness. Cause I just see you on Twitter at G dog 5,000 turnover this drive. I'm like, well, how does this guy know this? And sometimes we're betting, you're betting big plus money. So plenty of times it doesn't hit. That's just it's how like it plus works. 500 almost every time that I hit it. So my thing is, is that I love it is that if you bet the first four drives of the game, if you hit one, you've made profit just like that. But again, you can go down the rabbit hole, of maybe losing five <laughs> units just like that in the first half because you were chasing Exactly. So sticking with plus money, taking us over to the NBA, I have been betting less and less spreads, less and less money lines this season. Um, I was doing some of it in, in the bubble. I had a, I was having a great regular season, especially that all-star break until the shutdown with COVID doing really, really well. Um, and it just didn't carry to the, to the bubble. Uh, so since then I've kind of transitioned. I was always a player prop better. Um, just coming from the DFS side of things, it, it makes sense. Just like we were talking about with the touchdown scores. Um, and that's been going once again, it, it suffered a little bit in the bubble. It, it's been going really well again this season, but I, I've found it tougher and tougher to pick winners, pick teams covering against the spread um, I bet very few, I would say underdogs on the money line in the NBA this season. And if I do, we're talking like a two or three point dog that were plus one twenty, plus one thirty. Um, and I think this translates well to, you know, taking stabs, building a long-term bankroll, uh, you're somebody that will, you know, lay it on a couple of NBA underdogs and say, I might go and two tonight, but you know, over the course of a month, over the course of a season, I think more of these dogs are going to hit and make me profitable. Um, tell me a little bit about what goes into you picking those underdogs. In the sure. Yeah. And it's a pretty, I don't want to say it's a flawed bottle. 
Um, but it's essentially like, it's a pretty public model. It's not exactly like, I'm not going to pretend like this is some sort of like genius that I came up with. Oh, just bet on all underdogs. But it's just the fact that that's what's happening right now. And you have to be able to react to it and jump on a trend like that before the sports books correct themselves. So uh, for anybody who follows me on Twitter, you probably saw last night, I bet on every underdog last night, just as an experiment. There were 10 games last night and I went uh, four and six, but you know, what's funny about going four and six? I'll do it. I still only like, I still made like, a, like barely any profit, but that's the whole point of why, like, I was like literally like two bounces away from going seven and three, like, because the heat, they coughed it up in the second half. Say, Miami uh, was Clippers looked like they were fairly strong, probably going to hand Utah its first loss in a while. They kind of choked out at the end, of course, with no Kawhi and PG, you kind of expected that. But um, there were just some other games like that, like where, Maybe it was the other way. Like Washington, in my opinion, probably shouldn't have beat the Nuggets last night. And they got bailed out on that last second free throw with Bradley Beal. So mm-hmm. it kind of went both ways. But one of the things that I always try to tell people, especially about the NBA underdogs, is that just long term, you might as well just take the money line than the spread. Like, So one thing that I do every week with uh, Odd Shark is uh, I do an underlog, underdog money line report. And overall they're only hitting at 39.5% underdogs on money lines. So this would be if you just bet $100 on every single game and you just bet on the underdog, they're only hitting at 39.5%. But when you hear that, you think, oh, crap, like, well, that's a huge losing play. It's like actually not the case. If you would bet $100 on every single game, you'd be at 4600 bucks just doing that, just blindly. Like, you know what I mean? Like, um, and specifically the teams that are doing it really well are the home dogs. Uh, they're 70 and 100 coming into the, going into Tuesday's games. Um, so again, I kind of just look, yeah, I just kind of look at it that way of like, okay, there's the home crowd and even just the lack of home crowd is affecting games on both scales. It's affecting uh, the secondary players on a home team who might be able to ball out a little bit harder just with that push of the home crowd. But then the road dogs as well aren't getting drowned out by the audience uh, when they, you know, F up a free throw or whatever else. Like, it just almost feels like the stakes are lower. Like, and you've heard NBA players talk about that, like when it was at the bubble where it just felt like they were kind of like in an empty auditorium playing basketball. And that's kind of how they feel now when they're playing, even though there's probably, you know, a handful of fans at some games. Yep. So from an underdog standpoint, like, I don't know if I could just say by the end of the season – full conclusion that it's going to be a profitable endeavor because you did see some regression. Like after the first month, if you had just bet every underdog, you would have been up like $6,500. But the difference was, is that, you know, as time has gone on, you've now down to 4,500. I even had one guy even message me and ask me, he's like, so essentially for um, 400 games, isn't this essentially based betting 4,000 or $40,000 to win 4,600? I was like, well, yes and no. Like, yes, you did technically. You don't want bet. to think of it that way. <laughs> if you if you bet forty thousand dollars and just won forty six hundred back in return, I mean, I guess. But the difference was is that that like you're capping your total payout based on what you do if you just did it a single bet. The potential for this to go to seven, eight, maybe even nine thousand dollars over a course of a season is very much in play because you're seeing some of these teams, you know, with the COVID protocols and the the weird travel schedules and doing these back-to-back slates and just all this discombobulation of the way a regular NBA season is being played the way that we're used to seeing it being played is completely flipped on its ear. So you're, there's a lot more opportunity to bet on underdogs in my opinion. So that's kind of what I've been doing now lately where I've just been like, you know what, I'm just taking dogs. Like, because you're seeing as well in these games, like, uh, like once, like if you're not the Utah jazz, I don't trust you to cover a spread right now. Like it just, like it just, 
And even them, like I'm waiting for the bubble to burst. Like right now, like I'm sure the sports books now are going to be put in a position where they can't put them less than 10 points against any team, against any caliber of opponent, because they're just getting burned every time that they put their spread too low and they're covering the spread. The jazz are one of those trends right now that I, I've bet them maybe, have you been doing well with the jazz? Because I've bet them maybe a couple of times. And I think I also got there. I think they're 18, one and one, maybe they were the going into last night. So now they're 19, one and one after the 19, one and one. Yeah. So over this trend, I think I've bet them like twice and I hit the push. So I'm one Oh and one. <laughs> and that's all I have to show for this legendary, like money machine. Well, you could be worse. You could do what I have done when I wrote all my preseason predictions and recaps and everything else. and talking about what I think is going to happen this season. I picked the Utah jazz and missed the playoffs. So I'll one you up on that one. And then, uh, and then of course, because I'm so much of a believer of how I think in preseason, uh, preseason uh, projections, I was like, oh, the, the bottom's going to fall out here. I'm going to take the money lines. When, uh, so, like, uh, what was the game? It was the Sixers the other night against the Jazz. Yeah. And no Embiid. Oh, that drove me crazy, Julian, because Embiid got ruled in about 90 minutes before tip. Yep. And I'm like, awesome. Late, you know, this money scratch. line that looks good. The spread dropped from plus seven and a half to six. I already had the money line at the plus seven and a half value. So it was probably around plus 240. I'm feeling good. I'm like, you know what? Gobert isn't going to be able to just walk around and just dominate defensively. And Bede's going to be there. I feel like the tables are going to be set here. Oh, yeah, 15 minutes before a game, we're going to just we're going to sit him out. But we're going to play him last night against the chumpy Houston team that has like no stakes or no bearing. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just like, what are we doing here? So um, that's kind of why I've had an issue lately with betting NBA, where sometimes I'll just post picks, you know, of stuff that I'm betting on. But as far as strategy and model, like anybody who tells me that they have a consistent model right now in the NBA, I'm not going to say you're full of it. I'm just going to say I'm dubious. I agree with that. And Houston Philly, by the way, on Wednesday night, miraculous cover by the underdog Houston Rockets. So you bet them on the money line, I guess then, right? Yeah. Yeah. The Houston Rockets. They got it with the Rockets money line. That was going to be a tough win for them, but they got it on the points. They were flirting with being down 30 in that one. Yeah. They were down um, 15 and lost by lost by five. So (laughs) Embiid and Tobias Harris uh, got theirs from a fantasy standpoint, from a player prop standpoint, because that looked like it was going to be a blowout and they wound up staying in that game. Um, no Ben Simmons ruled out for an illness in that one. So Tobias Harris over seven and a half rebounds was one of the props I hit in that one. I think he had 15 boards. That's just to quickly go over my, my betting strategy. That is what I do on in the NBA. Um, I don't claim to be sharp. I claim to be quick and know what I want. Opportunistic is what I would call it. (laughs) Opportunistic. There we go. A smarter word for it. Um, you know, Ben Simmons is, is called questionable uh, at, at one point in time, about an hour and a half before tip, like 30 minutes later, uh, ruled out. Um, so I knew before that that something that I wanted, Harris had been rebounding the ball well uh, going into that one. And Simmons being such a good rebounder from the guard position, obviously because of his size, taking those rebounds off the floor. And Bede was a little high at 11 and a half. I didn't want to mess with that. Harris, reasonable number, seven and a half, something he can probably go over against Houston anyway take Simmons rebounds off the floor take Harris over seven and a half now the thing about that is that it's only going to be up for about four or five minutes mm-hmm. um which one of the things I like about props that I'll say is the first thing that's going to be affected there is everybody's going to go to the spread sports books are going to adjust the spread everybody's going to go oh I should go bet 
Houston because this is going to move a few points. And while everybody's messing around with that, I'm in the player prop section with something kind of predetermined that I want, and it buys you a couple extra minutes, uh, which which I like a lot. Um, so that's kind of been where really 80 to 90% of my bets have come from, come from this NBA season, but a majority of the other ones, you mentioned the underdog betting report that you do at Odd Shark. Um, I think Joe Osborne does the first quarter, first half. He does. Friends yeah. one. Um, does a fantastic job with that. That's something, a chart that I, I use all the time and uh, incorporate into, into content, um, incorporate into Twitter, incorporate into bets. Um, so that's the last thing that I kind of wanted to touch on in, in the NBA. Um, this week, I'm this week I'm three and oh on quarter and half plays. It was, uh, it was the Warriors against the Cavs, uh, first half on Monday night, that one, those, both of those teams were kind of floating around 500 on the season. But if you look at it, the Warriors at home or something like 10 and four against the first half spread Cleveland on the road now without Drummond was, was well below 500, uh, Suns first quarter on Tuesday against Houston cashed. They were up like 11 after the first quarter up 20, whatever in that game. And then Brooklyn comes back and wins it. So I think that's, those are the classic examples of when you want to use trends like that to just blow out a first quarter and win it. And then you have the dog come back and win the game on the road in the end. Uh, it, It feels good to have Phoenix first quarter over Phoenix game in those spots when one hits that you bet and the other doesn't. Well, I was going to say, Julian, it's funny that you mentioned the, the first half of the first quarter. So last night I was just looking around at Joe's uh, report and I noticed that the, the Sixers had the worst first half ATS record in the league. They were like 9, 18 and 1 or something like that. And then we go to that Houston game and obviously matchups over trends, but they were up by like 25 and a half, like easily covered. So that's why sometimes like I love that report and I'll use it to be able to d- dictate and sometimes direct where I'm looking, but still – and I'm sure you do anyway, the stats got to almost support your play. You know what I mean? I don't think anybody was taking Houston first half, even, uh, even let alone full game. Yeah. I, it's something that I, I look at the numbers first and just, you know, who's at the top, who's mm-hmm. at the bottom are two of those teams playing each other. Great. Now we look at, okay, where's the game Do the home and road splits yep. match up for these two teams. Um, and then, you know, maybe look at the last 10 and see if it's been a trend that's been hitting lately. And then if all that checks out before you go place that bet, I'm saying, okay, let me look at what's happening here. Is this the Houston, is this telling me to bet the Houston Rockets who are down like three of their best players on the road at Philly, who's a great home team? Yeah. Okay. Maybe that's the last red flag. So totally uh, agree on that. Last night, my play on Wednesday night was the NBA best New York Knicks, who are now 19, 9, and 1 against the first half spread, are sorry, 29 and 1 against the first half spread, 12, 4, and 1 against the first half spread on the road, I believe, and have cashed 10 of their last 11 first half plays. Um, they were in Orlando. Orlando's dinged up, nothing special. Uh, they're now 3 and 8 in their last 11 uh, against the first half spread. So that one was kind of the perfect one. There were no red flags, played it, cashed. Um, so those are kind of my overall thoughts here. I kind of like playing quarters and halves more than games because my kind of idea is, okay, a number is set for a game. That's the full game number. Now that's now, you know, the number's cut in half for the half it's cut in quarters for the quarters, but that doesn't dictate necessarily how these teams come out of the gates and play. There are slow starting teams, fast starting teams. And when you get the perfect matchup, 
you got to go with it rather than go with the game. So I've been doing the player props and these, um, is there anything I, is there anything I didn't cover in the quarters and halves that you like to use? I know I didn't even talk about the totals. I was doing more of those last year. Haven't as much this year. I might get into them. I think, I think the only thing that I was going to say is just, you're seeing a lot. I mean, they say it, but it's just more, uh, it looks like teams are really trying to enact this action now is that, you're really seeing teams and coaches really stressed about finishing quarters and halves strong. So a lot of the time I feel like, especially for favorites, I'd have to go back and look at the numbers, but just looking over the last couple of weeks, like favorites were crushing in the first half quite often. Um, and then maybe it just ended up like squeezing it out and losing in the end or just not covering in the end. So that's kind of the one thing that I would say is that where I would support maybe first quarter and first half trends, especially during the regular season, is that you'll see these like juggernaut teams that are up by that are 10 point favorites. But it's like, do you really want to take them at 10 points for the full game when they could be up 12 and not really give a shit in the first, with a minute to go? And then and then there you are. You know what I mean? Just kind of messed over by the fact that they didn't care because it was a three possession, four possession game. Um, so, yeah, no, I think that's probably the smart move. Um I actually was starting to dabble in some player props for tonight, uh, just knowing that I was going to be talking with you because I knew that there were some player props that you were going to probably be looking at. And I was just thinking to myself, like, if I was to do some player props tonight, what ones would I do? <laughs> and honestly, there were two that immediately stood out to me, man. Like I was looking at uh, uh, Raptors and Bucks. And so I really like the Raptors actually to cover the spread tonight. But <clears throat> the two that I was looking at immediately, and I just laughed when I was looking at the odds, was uh, Brent Forbes and Brooke Lopez each have a line for assists at 0.5 just to get one assist tonight. And they're both at like minus 120, minus 130 to have an assist tonight. And I was looking at it and I was like, okay, so went back to look at Forbes' history at San Antonio where he was kind of playing maybe more of like a primary point guard position when DeJounte Murray was out or, or Derek White wasn't handling the ball. Or even here now with Drew Holiday not playing tonight, he's probably going to be doing a lot of point guard duties with DiVincenzo. So DiVincenzo's like assist line is like seven and a half. But the one thing that I love about DiVincenzo's at, at three and a half. Oh, is it at three and a half? Gian, Giannis is right next to him. Giannis is seven and a half. Oh, okay. I must have misread it. Okay. Well, the point is, is that you can fall ass backwards into an assist in an NBA game fairly easily, especially for a guy like Brooke Lopez, who's probably going to be posting up somebody on the Raptors in the post. They're going to be coming down and try to double team them. All he does is kick it out. Bam, three, you cast your bet just like that. So for me, I feel like from, if it was any more than one, like I'd be like, don't, I, I don't trust the way that Milwaukee's offense has looked. And then the other one is DiVincenzo over an 11 and a half points. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's been pretty good like with drew holiday out of the lineup. Um, he scored 12 in their last matchup against uh, Toronto, but he shot one for eight from three in that game. Like I'm not saying that Toronto's defense didn't have anything to do with that, but he consistently hits four, 35 to 40% of his threes. So I know that he's going to shoot again. He's probably going to probably go three for eight again, in my opinion, tonight. Uh, I just think over an 11 and a half points for a team that is going to be relying on secondary scoring because Giannis is just going to be focused on so much. And then even Middleton to a lesser extent that I think a guy like DiVincenzo is going to be counted on to make some shots. So I can see what I can see happening is uh, Brooke Lopez getting the ball in the post. He passes it up to DiVincenzo, cashes his assist, and he goes over his 11 and a half points prop. Boom. You're walking away laughing. There you go. You get it on one play. Um, I will say those assist ones at half an assist are intriguing. I've seen people, wind up on both sides of Brooke Lopez. Like you said, you just got to fall into it and it either happens or it doesn't. 
Um, Forbes is interesting just to have a guard set that low. I agree. Yeah. When your starting point guard is out, Forbes is the one that intrigues me more there. If you're going to bet one or you want to, you know, you don't want to split them. You want to either just win or lose on the night. Forbes is the one that, that stands out to me there. Um, and DiVincenzo's in a, a good spot. I don't, I'm probably going to, like I said, I'm going to wait for some injury reports generally and, you know, fire and get those out on Twitter here. Like I said, how I get my wins, DiVincenzo is now 11 and a half. The first time and only time that I bet DiVincenzo was the game where Drew Holiday wound up surprisingly scratched and you got it. I think it was eight and a half or nine and a half at the time and slipped it in right before tip off. And there you go. There's your winner. Yeah. I think he cashed it either by halftime or in the first couple minutes of the third yep. quarter. Um, so I'll have some player, if you're watching this on Thursday, I will have some player props, uh, at some point, hopefully on Thursday, but you just got a couple, you just got three right there on, uh, on the podcast. So you got any other NBA takes before we go? Any other plays you want to get out there? Take the over for Nets games. Just, just <laughs> do it. Like, it doesn't even matter. Like you just like they played 25 games just in 2021. So if we excuse all the December games, the over is 21 and four in those games. And then I was looking at, okay, what about when the total's just at like two thirds, like around that range? It's 11 and four in 2020 in the 15 games where it's two thirty or more. So like, for me, I'm just like, okay, they're about to play against the Lakers who are easily one of the slower paced teams in the NBA, but no Davis means that there's going to be a lot more room to run around in the paint. Um, Kyrie should play. I don't know if he will or not, but if he does play, I like this totally play even more. He's probable. So he's almost certainly. Okay. So then he's going to play. Yeah. Like when we, when I was looking at it, I was capping this about an hour ago. He was still questionable. I know Harden's is going to play. I know Durant's out, but that's the whole point is that just because, uh, just because now they did well, you know, the other night against, uh, uh, Anyway, it doesn't matter. Just the point is, is that their defense is terrible and they've been terrible. They're going to put up 120 points themselves, likely. For me, when I look at this, if it's less than 240, I feel like it's an autoplay. And then even then, when they have the big three in there, when it's over 240, the over is six and one in those games. So, like, for me, I'm just like, oh, my God, like, there's just too many trends and too many things. And then just also the statistical stuff to back up those trends. Like if it was one thing, if these were trends and then the totals are at like 210 or something like that, and you know, they're just kind of eking it out kind of thing. It's like, no, they're actually going over these totals by an average of like 15 to 20 points, like on an average, like you're, it's not uncommon to see a final combined score of 250 in any Nets game. 232 against the Lakers on Thursday night. So there you go. Um, all right, man. Joe Glant from Odd Shark uh, at GDog5000 on Twitter. Uh, really appreciate you joining the Unreasonable Odds podcast, my man. We'll uh, we'll be in touch on Twitter. A lot of plays awesome. out there. All right, Julian, man. Keep keep grinding. Keep the player props going. I follow along myself. And uh, if you want to follow me, uh, not you, but our listeners, uh, if you want to follow me at GDog5000, I know uh, NFL season is a little bit ways away, but uh, you can read all my content at Odd Shark, all the NBA and NFL stuff that I do, and then uh, specialty stuff. And then, of course, uh, anytime I find an angle or an edge, I'll be happy to share it with you. Beautiful. There we have it. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. 
book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. 